We are live. Saludos a todos. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another Educator Innovator Hangout on air. Feel that air rolling by. <laughs> uh, I'm your host for this hangout, Christina Puntel. I'm a Philadelphia Writing Project teacher, and I've been teaching in Philadelphia since 1998. Just starting at a new school this year, um, where I have a principal who's also a writing project person. It's a real treat. I'm at George Washington Carver High School for Engineering and Science. I teach a Spanish class, and I also do a lot of student support. Um, my background is in special education. I have my certification in, in special education, and so I'm doing quite a bit of that this year, both in middle and high school. This Hangout connects to a larger project here at EI called Letters to the Next President 2.0. Letters to the Next President is an initiative that empowers young people, um, 13 to 18 years old and younger in other ways, to voice their opinions and ideas on the issues that matter to them in the coming election. Um, encourage you to check out that website if you have not yet, although I am sure if, you've, if you're tuned in right now, because you know about this website. Um, it's letters to president.org. Again, letters to president.org. So here at EI, we've been doing a series of webinars related to topics and issues that come up when we think about writing letters to the next president. Today, we're going to be discussing how um, sometimes, um, how, how, how this sometimes contentious election season can be a time to uncover students' passions and interests and learn together how to live in community. Thank you for joining us here today and a special thanks to our guests. I'm gonna let them all introduce themselves to you. For those of you watching this Hangout Live, please post thoughts, ideas, and questions um, via the Q&A feature embedded in the video player. Um, or tweet questions and follow along using the hashtag to the number two, next prez, hashtag to next prez. We're going to start with a reflection on the word community. So to do this, I've invited our guests who will introduce themselves to you in a quick second to share words, phrases, songs that come to mind when they think about the word community. And I'd like to invite you, our listeners, to do the same thing. So reflect on the word community. Keep circling back to that word in your reflection. We'll share these reflections out loud so we can group, grow some roots for our conversation about building community and uncovering passions during this election season. Uh, before we share our reflections on the word community, though, I want each of our guests to tell us a little bit about who, uh, please tell us who you are and where you're from. And um, Carla, could you start us out? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, my name's Carla Troopman, and I teach in a rural <coughs> high school in far northern California. And when I say northern California, I don't mean Sacramento. I mean right on the Oregon border. So we're very geographically um, isolated from the rest of the world. Um, but that doesn't mean that our kids don't have really big opinions about what's going on in the world. So um, I've been teaching for 17 years and I teach uh, both social studies and um, English in small schools. People have to wear a lot of hats. So 
I do a little bit of social studies, a little bit of English, a little bit of computer skills, a little bit of coaching, just a little bit of everything, but it keeps my life pretty interesting. Um, when I really think of community, it was funny when um, I saw this, the word song, I, the first thing I think about is our school a fight song that we sing um, at every game and uh, every Friday uh, before the weekend, we meet in the quad and we sing the school fight song. And so that's what I think about when I think of community to start off with. You're not going to sing it for us, Carla? <laughs> Well, I could, but that might cause people to tune right out. <laughs> uh, maybe later. Maybe, maybe after later. a few rounds of this, Carla. <laughs> That's right. All right. All right. Um, Heather, I'm going to ask you to, to um, introduce yourself and maybe share a reflection on the word community. Okay. Um, so my name is Heather Vamanthizen. I am was a teacher in Chicago Public Schools for 12 years. Um, taught, if you're familiar with Chicago, we don't have an east side because that's a lake, but I've taught on the southwest and north sides of Chicago. Um, and a while back, I left the classroom. I was working for an organization called Mikva Challenge, which is a, a civic learning organization. If you haven't checked them out, definitely do. I'll talk about them more later. Uh, but I've recently accepted a position with Chicago Public Schools, so now I'm the civic learning uh, instructional specialist, and I support our civics teachers uh, across the city. And um, I guess an interesting caveat is that I was an English teacher in high school. So I'm a bit of a unicorn in the civics world. I work mostly with social studies teachers, but I think it offers an opportunity for me to support them in literacy development, as well as uh, civic learning integration. So um, that's my career background. I guess uh, when I think of community, um, I really liked this question because I think there's two ways to, to look at community. There's the literal sense of um, the kind of communities that we live in, but there's also the emotional and social connections to different kinds of communities in which we live. And we all, uh, I think, don't spend a lot of time thinking about the ways in which our communities intersect. And so um, I guess the word to me that, the first word that comes to mind for me is consensus. I think that that's a definitive quality for communities that we often don't think about, especially in our in our American democracy, is that uh, communities continually learn and grow in how to build consensus and understand each other and and come to a greater understanding about who we are and where we want to go. That's Thanks. <laughs> Um, so Lisa, I'm going to throw it over to you, um, my fellow Philly friend. So, um, so I have to say, first of all, I feel so honored, uh, to be part of this small little community because those were, you all sound amazing. All three of you, <laughs> just amazing. Um, so anyway, you know, community actually means so much to me. I, I think about community a lot. This is not a just a you know just some word that come came up, right? Um, it's so much a part of of what I do as a school teacher. Um, so my name is Lisa Hammond. I teach grade three uh, in Philadelphia. Currently, I have been teaching for the Philadelphia School District uh, for almost thirty years. 
uh, and in Philadelphia altogether for almost 40 years. And, and I have been building communities of young uh, uh, activists uh, for 40 years. So community, you know, I, I could go on for hours for what community brings up for me, but, but so I just jotted down a few things, which was the idea of joining together and supporting each other, being aware of, of being a member of a group rather than you're all by yourself and, and what that means, embracing the individual and all the differences uh, working together towards a goal and the importance of listening. Thanks, Lisa. Um, so I introduced myself already, but I also did some thinking about community and I, I did think of a song and I might sing it right now. So. <laughs> Go for it. We are family. I got all my sisters and me. So that song definitely came to mind um, for me. And, and that word family does come to mind um, in all its imperfections um, and, and in all its humanity, um, actually, um, when I think of community. And I, was, I, I also did, um, the, the word church came to mind for me as well. And I've been to churches where I've worshiped that are sort of surface communities. Like we, we get there and we like see each other and that's the community. But then I've also been to churches where um, we're willing to go there with each other and, and go deeper with each other. So I was thinking about that surface community versus the going deeper community. Um, and um, though the word utopia does come up for me when I think about community, um, brokenness also really does mm -hmm. as well. Um, and, and just claiming humanity. Um, um, and then I guess the last thing that came to mind was really some sort of physical presence um, in some ways, physical presence. Um, but I think showing up for each other and um, being willing to go there. So I'm wondering, we just heard from each other and um, people that are listening, I want to encourage you to, to share questions um, via Twitter. That chat feature is not working, but I'm hoping that if you're listening, you're, you're able to share questions via Twitter and hopefully someone on Twitter will let us know that you're there too. But um, for those of us that just heard each other, does anything stand out um, from what we just heard from each other? So if there's anything that stands out from what we just heard, um, it'd be great just to hear. I know, Carla, you um, something did stand out for you, so you might want to share that now. Yeah, no, I really loved the word consensus um, that you used to describe community. And I also really thought about, um, it was interesting when you said that we don't often think about how our communities are interconnected or intertwined. And one of the things that I really thought about when I was um, considering this, this word community was I, I kind of visualized circles. And um, in my mind, the communities that I'm a part of could be, you know, could move around. Sometimes the communities are... Um, intertwined and look like a Venn diagram because they share community members um, while others are kind of outside of that, that shared part. Um, sometimes the circles are a subset of a bigger circle 
Um, well, and and so there's all these really interesting ways that communities intersect and intertwine, and it's particularly. I mean, I I've always lived in a really small town, so I don't really know what the urban experience is. But um, being part of a rural community, I I graduated from the high school that I teach at, so um, I have a long. You know, I've lived here my whole life, and my and my parents and my grandparents graduated from the same high school. So. Um, there's a lot of communities, of different communities within our greater, you know, geographic community that um, I belong to, and I think I love that about living in a small town, and I and I love that about community. So those are the two things that really stood out for me. Hmm. So uh, you know, it, so consensus also uh, rings true for me because we use that in my classroom. Uh, to come to a lot of agreement on, on various things and, and whatnot, but but you know just listening to the, to the to the speakers, right? So West Coast rural community and Midwest and East Coast, right? It makes me think of the book People by Peter Spire. Um, I don't know if you know it, so because I teach elementary school, right? So, but but Peter Spire went all around the world and he. He's an anthropologist, and he drew these amazing pictures of noses and ears, and, and he just found out all about the differences of people and the similarities of people. It just makes me think, you know, there's so much we don't really know about people all over the world, right? But we are one. We're so big, right? The world is so big, but we are one community of, the, of human beings with needs and, and, and desires and hopes and dreams. And, and even, I can tell just from the short time, you know, being right here, you know that even though we're so um, kind of disparate or diverse in, in, in our geographic region, we share a lot, right? We share the desire to do good in our classrooms. That's clear. I, I just think that's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can build off of that. I, I agree. I think that um, that what you just said along with I think the collection of our different experiences and thinking about the word community begs me to think about our classrooms as communities and how little time I think generally we ought, we do spend on being reflective and thinking about how that works and how we need to build these skills of our for our students throughout the year. I mean, I think we just in Chicago we just. Uh, finished our second week of classes and that's usually around the time people stop thinking about building community in their classroom because then they start getting into the content and I think that uh, it, it really is important for us to reflect on how important it is that we not, not only feel connected to different people in different communities or different areas but all of the wealth of skills that we've just identified that we need to consistently develop and grow. And it doesn't just happen in the beginning of, of the year, right? It happens all year. And I know it's just, it can be one more thing that we have to think about that we have to teach, but at the same time, it's uh, important nonetheless. If I, need it. I think it's the most important thing we teach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you said that um, after the first two weeks is sometimes when we forget keep to keep going with it. And I think sometimes um, that we don't look at content as um, community building. You know, we, we we see it as something separate from 
um, and an intellectual endeavor that that actually is is meant to create a community of learners or, or that we are most called in that moment to create a community of learners around the content. Um, so I think that brings us right into this into this next part of the conversation, which is um, kind of now that we have a sense of the depth of what community means to us, um, I want to give you all a chance to share something from your teaching practice. Um, how do you uncover students' passions and interests in your work? Um, what's the connection between student interests and civic engagement, between community and civic engagement? So um, I, I'm just going to ask for you know whoever kind of wants to get us started with this conversation to share. And again, um, listeners, I also um, encourage you to um, help us think about this and to, um, as, as ideas come up, um, or as as um, we share here, if it resonates with you, um, again to let us know on um, Twitter via um, that hashtag to next prez. Um, so, Carla, Lisa, Heather, does anybody would anybody like to go first um, here? Sure, I'm I'm happy to go first. Thanks, Carla. Um, I the the the, the idea of building community in, in class is essential I think um, and I do think that you can intertwine it with the content and a, and a couple of things that you guys touched on um, a minute ago this whole idea of time sometimes we rush so you know fast to get the content covered um, that we forget to give kids time um, I like to build in exploration time um, time for them to explore because I for for my high school students, 11th and 12th graders, um, there's a lot they know because they're high schoolers. But there's also a lot that they really don't know, and and they want they wonder about. So, I use Flipboard in my classroom as a means to explore different ideas, and and it's really been an interesting um, activity because it's not very structured, but I really think kids are reading more and talking more in that exploration time than when I give them an assignment because it's based on what they're interested in. And I'm paying particular attention during those times, um, listening to what it is they're interested in so that I can build on that and try to build content based on what their interests are. So I think the time um, to explore in a safe place where they can do that freely and be accepted for what they're interested in I think is really, really important. Um, Carla, for those of us who don't know what Flipboard is, can you describe it a little bit? And then um, also, Heather and Lisa, if you have any questions, this would be a great time to ask them as well. Sure. Um, Flipboard is an app that you can download. Um, it doesn't cost anything, but it allows um, you to, it, it essentially creates a personalized magazine for you based on your interests. And there are like 1,500 different categories that you can um, choose from. And then it sifts through all of the articles and newspapers and magazines about that particular topic or about the categories that you've expressed interest in. And it puts them right there at your fingertips so that you can explore some more. So through Flipboard, I learn what kids are interested in, if they're interested in music or um, 
the environment or fishing or sports or um, whatever it is, they have 1,500 different categories they can choose from and then they have all this re reading material that's based on their interests. So it's a really great tool and kids, <laughs> kids tell me, Ms. Treatment, I've never sat and read for two hours in my whole life. I just love this flipboard. So I, you know, kids really like it too. So I think it's a really good app to, to introduce them to. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, Carla, do you do do you have them um, build the flipboard in class? And um, yes. do, and then do you have like a ritual or a routine? Like, do you do it? Like, do they read? Um, once a week, you know, do you have like a flipboard day? Like, how do you kind of, how do you work? Yeah, I do have a, I do have a flipboard day. Um, we, it usually is Fridays. Um, and I chose Fridays because a lot of our students are, um, a lot of our students are really involved in athletics and we have to travel, um, at least three hours to go to compete. So a lot of kids miss a lot of schools on Fridays to go to, to games, but Flipboard's something that they can do on the bus as they're traveling down there. Um, and so usually Fridays, it's an it's a independent activity that they can do in class, but they can also do, you know, when they're traveling. Um, but it does give those kids that don't have access to high-speed internet um, at home the opportunity to participate as well. So it works out well for us to do it on a Friday afternoon. And then kids can talk to each other about it as well. And it's really cool because they're like, they're like, look at this article. I mean, they really are sharing what it is that they're reading, which is, I think, really amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Heather and Lisa, do you have any other questions for Carla at this moment? Or do you, does one of you want to jump in? Uh, oh, go ahead, Heather. No, it's go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to, I've never, I've, I remember seeing that um, app and wanting to play around with it, but I never did, and I wish I did. So uh, maybe I'll try and put something together for my teachers because I'm I'm, trying, I'm making notes of it right now. Um, but it, it reminded me of uh, this isn't the resource I wanted to share, but it just reminded me of Storify, um, which I'll has anyone have any of you guys used that? Uh, it collects it collects um, a bunch of different you know, tweets and Instagram posts from a certain hashtag and creates a story based on the interactions that students use in social media. I've been thinking about it lately because I want to set up some uh, Twitter chats for the debate watch parties, but, um, well, I guess I could talk about <clears throat> what I wanted to share. Um, I had a tough time thinking about this because uh, admittedly, it was one of my favorite things to do uh, as a teacher was activities like this and, and helping students to um, develop their own voice and empower their voices and my content and my instruction in my school. But I think the one I wanted to share is something I thought would be great for everyone to use it was hands down. Um, the, one of the most powerful things I've ever done in the classroom is participate in a program that Mikvah Challenge organizes called Project Soapbox. And I don't think it's necessarily a revolutionary idea. It's students uh, giving speeches, two-minute speeches on issues that they care about. And uh, 
there's a curriculum and there's a whole program for it um, and there's a national competition this year which is going to be on the I think it's on the NWP uh, letters to press site but the reason why it was so pow powerful for me is that of all my um, get to know you activities and icebreakers and all the things I've ever done with students I learned more about my kids doing that than anything and um, it really I think put front and center what I valued the most, which was them and their ideas and their issues and their thoughts, and not just their perspective about what's affecting them in their school or community or their family or with their friends, but what are their ideas for solutions, right? What is their perspective? Um, we live in, we work in, we're preparing students to engage in a democracy and some of the most undemocratic systems, a school, right, or a classroom, and how to have students engage in, uh, engage civically, oftentimes we think about, well, they write letters to the mayor or, you know, activities like that, but challenging ourselves to think about how to authentically have students participate in their community, in their school, in their own lives, really has to begin with better understanding what they think and feel about uh, where they live. And so, um, and I forget, is this the time to share stories about, did you want us to tell, share a story? Yeah. To okay, I have an example. <laughs> so, uh, so an, a couple examples, but one really simple one. Um, I have this student who, um, one of the biggest issues always every year with my students is issues of self-harm or cutting or depression. They always speak about these issues and it's either something they've experienced or their friends have experienced. And so this particular student uh, in her speech and as developing her speech, she identified um, a problem that, that students didn't have access to counselors in the building because they couldn't leave the lunchroom to go to visit their counselor. And I remember hearing that in the speech and like, wait, what, you can't, how did, when you go to your counselor, you can't go to your lunch, there's no other time in our school day, unless it's after school and, and can't have every single kid going, or we, we only had one counselor for the whole building. And uh, so she, she, the principal heard that speech and the, and, the, and the rest of the teachers heard that speech and made some policy changes to passes so students can access their counselors during lunch. And I think that's a, really small example of the impact that can happen when we create a space for our young people to speak out on issues that affect them, particularly in our school, right? Um, we often develop policy, debate policy, even selecting bell schedules, and we don't include our students in, in uh, thinking about how they can contribute to this. And so we lose a lot of teachable moments because of that. And so um, I have a lot more stories that are more emotional or deeper, you know, but I think that that is just a quick example of um, how much we can learn about how we can better serve our students when we learn more about their experiences. So um, definitely Project Soapbox, do it. That's awesome. Well, I, I go right off of that. Mm -hmm. Is that okay? Yeah, go Lisa. So, um, but, so, Mine isn't as quite as intense and deep, Heather, because, you know, I work with nine-year-olds and, you know, their biggest concern are whether the puppies have homes. But, um, but in my classroom, we work all year. The build, 
community with each other, be a community together that wants to make change and then make change in our larger community. So um, we work really hard to, to learn how to listen to each other in the beginning of the year and how to talk and share uh, what it is we're interested in and, or concerned about. And my children do come to consensus. Um, we work towards a debate and they have a debate in December. They uh, uh, come to consensus on a topic that they're interested in studying uh, that we'll then delve in and become experts on. And we then invite guest speakers in. We do research on the internet. We have uh, books, we go on trips, and we learn everything we can about that topic. And then towards uh, May and June, my children decide, usually it happens organically through uh, guest speakers or a book we're reading. My children decide, and they're eight and nine, they decide uh, what project they will do uh, connected to um, uh, the issue that they were studying in, in some way of helping. So for instance, last year, my students studied um, the origins of meanness. They wanted to know all there was to know about means. Where did it come from? Why are people mean? Um, and so we did. We studied all year. We had psychoanalysts come in. We had social workers come in. We did a number of uh, uh, activities that helped us really understand means. And then uh, at the end of the year, my students did two, actually two projects. Uh, they they uh, had listening sessions around the school because they heard that listening was so important. And so they would just listen to people around the school. And we also had a giveaway day. We, we thought spreading happiness would reduce meanness. So they, they made all sorts of things and they just gave it away at their recess time and spread the happiness throughout the school. And that actually has carried on to this year because children are now having uh, listening sessions on Tuesday at our school. So it, you know, it makes a, it makes a bigger dent. Uh, than just the just the June period, um, and we I've, I've done these these projects with the kids for ten years now. So uh, my kids have done all sorts of things. Like we raised a cat in our classroom and found a, a home for it to be adopted. Uh, my children uh, developed a museum, uh, an anti-smoking museum, and it ran for three days. And we had about uh, I don't know about twelve hundred visitors. Some of whom stopped smoking after coming to that museum. I think my dad stopped smoking after coming to that museum. So um, not only do they make an impact on other people uh, during that time period, they've become impacted. They take that with them through the world, and they believe that they can make an impact. So hopefully they're taking that with them in all of their communities that they'll, they'll be in, in their future. Wow, I want to come to your classroom. I want to redo third grade and go to your <laughs> Come on down. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it's a lot um, of fun. It's it, it's very intense. We we you know we obviously also do all the mandate you know stuff. We uh, all the stuff you're supposed to do, but we do it within all of that parameter of what did you choose? What do you really want to know about? How are we going to find out about it? And what are we going to do about it? Thanks, Lisa. Um, I'll share a little now, and then maybe we can um, do what we did before, where we try to say what stands out from each other's um, stories and sharing. 
Um, so I'll just, I'm gonna share from this year. Um, this is, I think, day nine of school in Philly. Um, and I'm new to the school and I have um, a study skills class at the very end of the day, 11th grade study skills class at the end of the day, every day. Um, so these are students who've been identified that need, that, um, need extra support. Um, so um, we started by doing some of the two next pres, what's my issue um, work. Um, we use the KQED um, issues from the campaign that are kind of salient right now. But then I had students just brainstorm um, what the, what, what's my issue. Um, but then we did it um, sort of in a timeline version. So I had kids kind of think about um, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, put a big timeline up and um, gave everybody post-its. And I, I had them kind of think back through the years um, to, to what their passions were, what their interests were um, over time. And then the next day we also added um, books and games um, from those years too that stand out to us. So the timeline kind of grew over a couple days. Um, I got to do this with the seventh grade class as well. So I'd get to do in the morning with the seventh grade a little differently than with the 11th grade at the end of the day. But um, very soon after doing this, um, I spoke to the principal and I said, I think that the students are getting a lot of support from our school, but I feel like it, they, that they're hungering to give support um, and to become supporters of others. And um, not knowing the community well myself because I'm new, he's like, oh, there's an elementary school four blocks away, and I'm sure that there'd be a teacher there who would love to have some 11th grade mentors. Yes. Um, so we visited last week for the first time, and um, we broke up into three groups, and students created a cheer and created um, a little glyph to make some candy necklaces out of Fruit Loops. One yellow if you like to read adventure books, two yellow if you like to read science fiction, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and my students were very, very nervous. Um, one of the first things they said when I said we were gonna be going every week and creating a relationship with these students, they were like, what if it snows? You know, we can't, we can't go when it's, it's meanwhile, it's like 100 degrees here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, when it snows, you'll put some boots on and we'll walk over as well. But um, I think what stood out to me is, oh, and then also why, you know, for what, what's our grade going to be? What, what grade are we going to get? So um, right away, I just said, you know, by showing up, you'll get the pass grade. You're going to pass just by showing up. And also, um, and also, Kind of why we're doing it is because you're giving you give a lot of support and it's time for you to support as well. And then the last thing I said, and also we're just trying to make the world a more beautiful place. And it really wasn't until I said that they're like, "Yes, we're on board. Like we're with you. That if that's what you're saying, that we want that." You know. And um, they were very nervous at the first meeting. The cheer group was like a little mousy group you know after having been so loud in my room they were very nervous around the fourth graders um but by the end everybody was in love everybody was in love and i i'm even more excited that we're going every weekend that we're gonna have this 
this thread. Um, and to talk about their own elementary schools and schools in Philadelphia, I can't wait to see what happens. It's a very little seed, but there are very huge issues with funding in Philadelphia for our schools. And I feel like there's going to be something else that comes of this, and I don't even know what it is. But that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great way to start at a new place, you guys. It's a great way to yeah. start. <laughs> for sure. Um, so I wonder if there's um, anything that stands out to us from what we heard. Um, they could be th themes that relate back to some of the talk we had in the beginning about community. Um, so if anybody could share out right now about something that stands out from what you heard. Um, and again, to those of us, to those of you listening to us, this is a good time for you also to share um, some of the things that stand out to you from what you've heard. I think one of the things that really stood out for me was, um, Lisa Ann, when you were talking about bringing these other people into the classroom, um, I think that's really, I, I think that's a really good practice that I want to um, do more of in my class because I think it helps um, remind students that they are part of the bigger world, that they're not isolated in this classroom and that everything else is going on outside of the walls. By bringing those people in and and making kids a part of that, I think that's a really powerful thing. But that's one thing that really stood out for me. Yes, I have found over the years of doing this uh, more and more that the guest speakers are the the drive that that um, keeps us going, and it's it's so exciting. Let, I mean, more you know, I, I've had like twenty guest speakers a year, um, wow. and people are so willing to come in. I don't pay anybody. I don't have any money, right? I Google. So when the kids come up with a topic, whatever it is, so like last year it was meanness or the year before it was special needs populations, whatever, I Google that. I, I hope I'm not sounding technologically ridiculous, but I Google that topic and, and, and the term guest speakers and up comes, you know, hundreds of different people. And then I just, uh, the kids will email, uh, I will make phone calls. You can always get people who will agree. And I prepare, you know, we, I have long conversation with them prior to them coming in to prepare them. But the guest speakers really keep moving us forward. When they come in, then there's more questions. And then they get new guest speakers, and then there's more questions. And almost always, it's where the project comes from. You know, like a woman came, uh, a few years ago, a woman came from Paul's, which is a, a no-kill shelter. And she said something like, you know, we have a program where it would be great if you could actually take care of a kitten and then find the adoptive family. And we're like, take care of a kitten in the classroom? Sure, why not, right? And then we had a kitten in the classroom and we adopted it out a lot. We also adopted out five others, but not in, we didn't have those in the classroom, but we found homes for six kittens that year. That wow. was our big project. So yeah, I mean, it's really great. Yes, the speakers are fabulous. And of course it connects us to the larger community, right? Right. Yeah. I was thinking about the role of trust in all of this. So trust, um, Lisa, in your process, you know, that you have trust in the process and that you know it's going to lead to student passions and desires kind of coming up. And then Heather, seeing if you trust in student voice, trusting in um, 
the ability or trusting that others will hear them and that they will feel some agency and that something's shifted, um, but also trusting enough to give them the space for the speech and to know that it's so much more than the speech um, as well. And then with the Flipboard, I think Carla too, just trusting that process, trusting that they're going to surface things that are that's good, that are that will keep them plugged in, literally, you know, plugged in and reading. And um, so I was thinking a lot about that word trust, and um, and and that sometimes schools can be a really tough place for teachers um, to trust. Yeah, that was my takeaway, um, at least something that I'm pulling from what everyone was contributing is that it's, it's try, maybe the, to use your word trust is that trust in the process, right? Like none of these things or none of these outcomes were predicted. We couldn't say by the end of this, this will happen. You know, I think that it's got, it's, I think it's at the core of experiential learning is that it's an experience for us as well and not just for them. Um, and I think about like when I was hearing you talk, I was thinking about those students that will push back and I always had at least five of them in every class, you know, why do we have to do this? Why do we have to learn this? And I think that if I can't answer why, then I probably shouldn't be teaching it. So if, instead of telling them why or saying it's it's for some future reason, right? Like college and career, and you're going to need this sometime in the future, but not right now. We're doing a big disservice to the to our students, but putting them in these moments and allowing them that time to take action and improving their own community is what transforms. Like, what was that? The the listening spaces that you were talking about in your school, I love that idea, right? And it's not even just for students intentionally listening in parts of their building, but I mean, I, I need to be better at being, and being more intentional and listening and other adults around me, oh gosh, you know? So um, it, it, I think it, it kind of like clouds that line between teacher and student and really helps to build that partnership and learning. Oh, I like that imagery. Could you say that again? It clouds. Could you say that again, Heather, please? <laughs> I'll try. I don't know where it came from. I think I was trying to describe how ex experiential learning like this clouds the, the line between teacher and student and builds like a, a partnership in learning. Experiential learning, you know, brings those two together because it's, an, um, it's a learning experience for, for both groups, both people. I think that is so important um, because I think that the relationship that you have with your kids and that you build in your classroom, um, you have to, I mean, it is about relationship, right? Communities are about relationships. It's about support and acceptance and consensus and, and all of those things, but you can't have that without the relationship, without that kind of blurred lines. And, I think one of the things that we do as teachers that uh, I love what you said about um, 
you know, if you can't answer the question, why do we have to do this, then I probably shouldn't be teaching it. But there's also those moments in my classroom where I don't know the answer. And I think it's really important to model that it's okay not to know the answer for our kids. It's okay to be wrong. Because that's where the learning happens. And if we're so focused on getting through the content and, you know, I, I have colleagues who have like their teacher persona and then their other persona. I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I, I mean, I'm the same person at the grocery store as I am in my classroom. And I think that kids recognize and are drawn to that, you know, that realness, that authenticity. And I think that, you know, with being authentic, you have to be willing to be vulnerable and be wrong sometimes and, you know, let your, let your students call you on it because that's the way real life works. Mm -hmm. Yep, you're here. I, I yeah, was... Christina, uh, I think um, your pinpointing trust is... Point. I'm yeah. sorry, go ahead. Well, I guess, I mean, another question that I had for us, um, although we can stay right here if we want to, but is um, thinking about... Um, I'm not going to bring us down. I was going to say we could think about challenges to the work, but I actually was, I'm actually more thinking now that where I'd like, where I think it would be helpful to, to go is um, thinking about how we've supported other teachers um, to do this kind of work um, or um, what are some supports that you've found? It could be organizations like Mikva Challenge, um, but are there other sort of things out there for teachers who who really want to go there um, and and want to um, and want to be more trusting? So, how have you supported other teachers in this work, or what supports have you found for yourself? Um, I can start because this has been. This, this past year, I shifted from teacher to teacher trainer or supporter, and I, I've learned a lot, and I don't, I don't have a lot of answers, but I can tell you that um, the, the questions that we ask along the way, like what happens along the way is more important than the outcome. So, um, and the need to reflect with your students, so I like, um, that comments, I don't remember who, I think Carla, you were saying, uh, admitting when we're wrong or admitting when we don't know and how important that is, is that in order for experiential learning or action civics or project-based learning, whatever you want to call it, to work, there has to be intermittent reflections where we're stopping to assess our goals or assess where we are and how it's going and what can we do differently and why did this not work? And, and I think um, most teachers I know that want to start out doing, you know, youth voice civic engagement kind of projects like what we're talking about, their biggest concern is that the unknown outcome, right? And that it's, how do I make it fit in my curriculum? And I have to be done in two weeks, so how can I know it's over? And, and there's a whole lot of, of things. So uh, I'll say this, that the, the reflection is key. 
and having those opportunities and systems built in your classroom to make sure that you're reflecting with students about the process because that's where the real magic happens. And then start with issues that are in your school. I think um, if you have students who want to tackle homelessness, that's going to be a really tough place for you to start as well as something with them. But choosing an issue within your school like meanness, right, is a is a good place to really identify and research the issue. Um, have the students survey other students, have students interview the principal or the dean or other teachers and learn more about the issue. You know, action research um, is another powerful best practice in this work. Um, so I think there's a lot of organizations that I've come across that do a good job of outlining it. Obviously, McFit Challenge, um, I'm going to favor them. They're amazing. But uh, organizations like on the East Coast, uh, Generation Citizen, I think, is uh, the name of the org. And on the and California and on the West Coast, there's um, Sierra Constitutional Rights Foundation has curriculum and called the Action civic action project. So there's a lot of stuff online. If you go to a website called um, the National Civics Action Civics Collaborative, I'll have to Google that really quick while someone else is talking. I'll share it again later. But it's a website uh, where they have a bunch of links to a bunch, a bunch of different orgs that often have their curriculum for free online for you to just get started. Um, but for me, I think the greatest thing that we can do to support each other is to celebrate the work for each other. I think as teachers, we're, we're, it's almost like we're shamed into being modest and it's not about me, it's about the kids. And well, you know what, like if you did that forever, I, 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 this is why, you know, I think a lot of times the turn, turnover rate for teachers is far too high is that we don't spend enough time celebrating each other's like the risks we take and the extra mile and the work that we do being on a webinar at seven o'clock at night um, to help it just to create discourse around this stuff. Uh, so if you see somebody doing something powerful, uh, celebrate it for them because most likely they're not going to do it for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say, um, you know, we started with the word community, so uh, I would say uh, to, to try to reach out in any way you can. I mean, we're lucky in Philadelphia, we have so many uh, teacher communities, teacher groups, um, but, 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 and so I can't speak to where anywhere else in the world, but I do know that you could start one, right? If there's not one there, you can say, uh, it's Saturday for brunch, come on over to my house, invite, you know, two or three people show up, you now have a community that you can uh, bounce ideas off of. Um, I, as I said, Google, Google is really amazing. There's so much you can find on Google, right? So just Google, Google whatever you want. I would like a Maserati. See if that helps. I don't know, but it may not help with a Maserati, but it does help with finding people to connect with and support you in whatever it is you're doing. And nowadays, and I'm not really a technological person, but nowadays it doesn't have to be in your living room, right, or in your, in your teacher's lounge. It could be online. And so there are, I say to, to, to people often, just take that first step, just reach out, even if it's a small step. I, I agree with you, Lisanne, and I think that one of the most powerful things that I've done to, um, you know, 
to support other teachers is to invite them into my classroom. Invite them in to see the chaos. Because, you know, we live in this culture of fear kind of in school because, well, at least in California, it's like high, you know, high stakes testing. You got to, you know, there's all these rules that we're supposed to be following. And, and I'll never forget a math teacher came in and observed in my classroom. And, I mean, I just invite them in and they become part of the community. And just like if they were coming into my living room, you know, come visit. Check us out, you know. It's a great place to be. But he left and he came back at the end of school and he said, Carla, I don't even know how you do that. How do you stand? I mean, because he, you know, they don't, kids in his class don't say a word all, all, all period long. And then, and I'm like, I want it to be loud. I want it to be chaotic. It just means that something's happening, that there's, you know, something's happening in the classroom. And so invite people in to see the chaos and witness your mistakes and, and, and see that you don't have all the answers, that, you know, it is all part of the process. And sometimes the process is messy, but so is our democracy messy. And if we're going to teach kids to be, you know, a part of it, then they've got to be living that. So um, uh, invite them in. Invite them to, you know, invite them to the community. Great. Amen. Um, I want to um, take a second um, now, if it's okay, just to, to read a poem that I found um, that I thought might be a, a nice way to close. Um, and it, it kind of speaks to everything that we just said. I hope that you can make connections to it. And then I'll offer just some closing thoughts and then um, we'll go, we, we will go gently into that dark night. Um, okay. This is called What We Need Is Here and it's by Parker Palmer. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, the, the poem is called The Wild Geese. But the, the line in the poem that struck me is what we need is here. The wild geese. Horseback on Sunday morning, harvest over, we taste persimmon and wild grape, sharp, sweet of summer's end. In time's maze over fall fields, we name names that went west from here, names that rest on graves. We open a persimmon seed to find the tree that stands in promise pale in the seed's marrow. Geese appear high over us, pass and the sky closes. Abandon as in love or sleep holds them to their way, clear in the ancient faith. What we need is here. And we pray not for new earth or heaven, but to be quiet in heart and in eye, clear. What we need is here. And actually, um, I took the poem from a, a column by Parker Palmer, but the poem is by Wendell Berry. Um, so I already screwed that up like five times. But um, <laughs> I, I thought the poem kind of speaks to um, a lot of things we talked about. We talked about time, and um, we also talked about um, not sort of the quiet um, of um, the poem that Wendell Berry talks about quiet in heart and in eye. I think it's more Carla's kind of chaos in heart and in eye, but um, that what we need is here, that what we need is in community and um, that the discovery of in the seed finding the tree, um, the discovery in the chevron of the geese, um, the discovery that happens in community is so vital. Um, so again, that was The Wild Geese by Wendell Berry, but um, I, 
I want to thank all of you for for hanging out tonight. I think we I think this is the best educator innovator hangout um, <laughs> ever of all time. And I think that um, that that why that is so is because we really went really deep really quickly. And um, by starting out talking about community and by by really becoming a community in this short amount of time um, also just shows the power of of teachers um, when we when we hear each other and when we listen to each other and um, we can we can hope that our country follows our model um, we are almost out of time I want to thank all of you um, and um, of all of our guests and to thank everybody else for watching um, I hope that you want to keep to date on future opportunities sign up for the monthly newsletter please at educatorinnovator.org and follow Educator Innovator on Twitter at innovates underscore ed. And also don't forget to follow the hashtag to next pres and Twitter account for more on letters to the next president 2.0 and visit the website at letters to president.org. Um, and before we go, um, maybe we can all say goodbye in the manner that our, that our towns and cities say goodbye in. So, how do y'all say goodbye out there in Northern California? Oh, play Wairika Miners like you never played before. Bring glory to your high school as was done in days of yore. That's it, you guys. Thank you so much. It's been great. <laughs> Chicago, can we hear a uh, can we hear uh, Chicago goodbye? Peace. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lisa, what, what do we say uh -huh. out here? What do we do out here, Lisa? Be well, change the world, people. Make it better for all. Be well. We are family. <laughs> I got all my sisters and me. Come on, it's a Wednesday night, y'all. Awesome. Whatever this is. Um, okay, um, so everybody.